Hey, I'd still be wearing parachute pants now if they sold. <laughs> you would. <laughs> Radio Drome. Welcome to a severely dated episode of Radio Drome. I am Josh Hadley. With me, as always, is the one, the only, he's been programmed into 50 different hookerbot bodies, Cecil T. Robot. Wait, now I'm hookerbots? When the hell did that happen? Come on, live a little. Apparently I've been living a lot. That's why we upload your personality, so people can have sex with you without you having to actually have sex with them. It's kind of a win-win. It's a lose-lose if they have to have sex with me. (laughs) There you go. Well, if you guys want to have sex with yourselves, I guess, or, you know, fantasy sex or anything, you go to adamandeve.com. Use the promo code DROME, D-R-O-M-E, and you will get 50% off of a single item, three free DVDs, a free sex swing, and free U.S. shipping. Just use the promo code DROME at adamandeve.com. That promo never gets old. Tonight I want to talk about Last week, well, Peter won't be here this week, by the way, guys. Uh, he had some personal shit come up that he had to deal with. Last week, Peter brought up, remember when we were talking about The Watcher, and he was talking about just how ridiculously dated the forensic technology was? And it's kind of funny how that movie's only from 2000, Cecil, and yet how ridiculously dated it is. Good God, also 2000. Just go and watch the first season of CSI, and you'll go, wow, how dated this is. Yeah, any movie that pontificates computer science. Now, like, I think in general, I'm willing to, I'm willing to give a pass to a lot of movies that are using technology. Like it's, it's in the future and they're trying to uh, say, Oh, this is how take, but something like the net, which is a movie that I really enjoy on my list, but they're like, they're doing things and I'm like, okay, you can't do this now. Oh yeah, and I, I I loved how 1995 they had basically 2018 levels of technology, and I'm like, first of all, the, no no ni- zero 1995 computer is going to be rendering photos like that or seamless play video. It's like this is not even stable. Quick, remember 1995? This was what QuickTime 2.0. It wasn't even stable at that point. Yeah, it just Sandra Bullock is just doing all kind like she's she like there were some things where i'm like all right cool they kind of predicted you know ordering a pizza right from your computer and doing little things like that like there was a point where that was the whole thing where she was doing everything from her house and you know none of her neighbors knew who she was and so when they had her replaced it was like you know they had a somebody who kind of looked like her and people were like yeah that's probably her you know so uh it, it kind of in a way was good but then there were other things where hackers did this too where they would put like these entire file libraries on like a three and a half inch floppy where I'm like, do you realize that's like a 1.4 mega, megabyte thing? Where you're, you're, you're barely fitting a text file on there. I, I, I actually just re- recently rewatched Hackers with my girlfriend maybe a month ago. I love how they're ooing and eyeing over, remember where Angelina Jolie gets the new super duper top of the line just came out laptop. And I can't remember what the exact numbers were, but I'm like, you know, I have photos on my computer that are larger than that whole laptop. 
Yeah, there, there was just stuff on, yeah, they're making this huge, oh my god, it's, it's got a 500 megabyte, dr- I'm like, oh, that's nothing! That's an episode of a TV show. Cause I, I remember that the, they said something like, it, it's got like such and such K of RAM. And I'm like, wow, you could almost light a cigarette with that amount of RAM. There was, um, years ago, I had a, uh, I had a computer and I wanted to up, I wanted to upgrade it. I needed more RAM. I wanted to buy a 600 megabyte dick of RAM. It was $600. So needless to say, I did not buy the 16 megabyte RAM. Now you're getting, I think my, my system's running 32 gigs of RAM. Like, and I bought them, uh, I bought the sticks. I think I paid like 60 bucks a pop. You know, and like, it's just, it's so ridiculous. I mean, there are certain things. So technology, uh, I, I kind of, I kind of give a certain amount of leeway to because they have to fudge it a little bit to make it to, to, depending on what this, depending on what the story needs. But there are some times where they just go overboard with it and you're like, all right, this is just hilarious. And, uh, if, and the other thing too is cell phones and movies always crack me up. Like you go back and you watch Lethal Weapon and they've got the, the brick phone like that to me me is just kind of a sign of the times that's not like i'm like okay that's fine you know if they had if they had pulled out some kind of fancy schmancy thing i'd be like okay this didn't exist in the 80s but because they have the brick i'm like all oh, right it's it's 1985 or what i don't remember what if it's lethal 1987 weapon. was lethal weapon okay but yeah it's it's just it cracked me up that's connected to the car you know they can't they, can't, they can make a call a call from the car can't go anywhere else with it though in, in a weird way, that's not as dated to me as... Now, we'll talk more about the Wishmaster movies in a few weeks when we do a retro, but I just watched Wish, Wishmaster 3 and 4 from 2000 and 2001 just last night. It's amazing when she pulls out her flip phone and she's, like, texting on it, and I'm like, no, no you're not. You, you, you're not texting like that. Because remember, that was when you had to, you know, you didn't have the keyboard-like options where you'd have to hit three numbers to get one letter, and she's a do-do-do-do-do-do and texting and i'm like no you're not you're absolutely not doing that well i mean they they saw the future and they they managed to to kind of do it but i don't mind them kind of coming to the realization that certain things would be available you know that that was coming so you know i guess they 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 wanted to do something cool and they did it and they didn't uh but there are other things where they just do stuff and it fails miserably it's like okay this this totally does not exist even now well, but you also have, I mean, technology is one thing, and we will talk about that a little bit later. But sometimes a movie is dated, one, by when it came out. Now, movies in general are always made of their time. It doesn't matter if it's a sci-fi movie set 4,000 years in the future. It's going to be made with the aesthetics and the ideals of when it's made. Like Dune. I don't, I'm not saying Dune is a dated movie, the David Lynch one. It's a very mid-80s movie because of when it was made. Where if even the exact same script, if it were made in 1978, would have been totally different because of the aesthetics of the time and what was going on in the world at the time. So movies are a reflection of their time, even if they're not meant to be. So I have a bunch of movies here I want to talk about that are kind of a a weird encapsulation of a very specific moment in time. And that's what I'm talking about for Dated. Like, Cool as Ice. I know you love it. I don't understand why, but I know you love it. Cool as Ice is almost 1991 in 90 minutes. It's so 1991, it's kind of painful. 
I don't remember exactly what they said, but Riff Tracks did a thing on it and they were, they were saying, uh, they were trying to say how 1990s this movie was and they're going down. They're like, this is like playing pogs while watching Alf while eating a cool ranch Dorito. They're going down this list of like 1990s and it's like, yeah, that, uh, but I mean, for me, I, yes, it is a bad movie. There's something like, I guess it's, it's, Vanilla Ice's charm that really shines through. It makes you want to, he makes you want to like it because it's a montage film. He, he breaks into her, this girl's room and shoves ice in her mouth while she's sleeping. It's like, it's so, it's just so absurd. Uh, the, his, the, his buddies, they're, they're tra, they're a traveling rap band on motorcycles. I don't know. There, there's something ridiculous about it. it and, just and, and then they stop at the most '90s hotel of all time. It's not even a hotel. It's these people's house where where they they happen to. It just so happens to be these two old people that can fix motorcycles, and they live in like Pee Wee's Playhouse. <laughs> I, I, I was gonna say that, that that the place they were staying was like Art Deco threw up all over a bunch of pop '90s art. Oh yeah. I mean, it, absolutely. It's just, it's absurd. But isn't that sort of a, a very bad idea for filmmaking? You're, you're basically looking at a trend. You know, you know, this movie is not going to have any staying power. Like, okay, Cool as Ice became kind of a cult thing because of how bad it is. You, you look at the filmmakers. Do you think they went into it going, we just need to get it out now. We know this is a fad that's going to be passing. Or do you think that they went, no, this is actually going to become like a, a certifiable classic in a genre, like like those Lombada movies. Remember after Canon broke up and Galan and Globus were fighting with each other and they each made their own Lombada movie? And remember the Lombada was only a thing for like four months and they were like, no, this, we got to get our Lombada movie out now they they knew they had a limited time to get this out like if they had gotten it out faster it may have been a hit but by the time they finally got it out like vanilla ice was like no longer popular and so the movie ended up bombing there they were they were pushing they were pushing hard and i think that that's really what it was quality be damned they wanted to get that vanilla ice movie out the door i think they wrote it in like a weekend or something it's basically rebel without a cause with rappers and uh they they just more like rebel without a clue Oh, bop, bop. So they, and they, uh, so they, they, they rushed it out the door. It, it, it is what it is. So, I mean, that's why there's really, it's, it's just, it's a bunch of music videos strewn together over 90 minutes with this string, a very thin story kind of tying it all along. They knew what they were doing. They, they, they were trying to capitalize on the trend. What about when you do that in a way that you know, just based on lead times, production times, even by the time the movie comes out, not only will that trend probably be over, but whatever flash in the pan star you put in it will also be over. Like you pointed out with Cool as Ice, you know, just based on production times, by the time the movie came out, Vanilla Ice was not popular anymore. Or you've got like Dumb and Dumber 2, which, you know, that movie is a train wreck on every level, populating it with like cameos by Honey Boo Boo and, and her mom. And you're like, oh, that's going to age just so well, guys. Well, that's the thing that killed me about the original Spider-Man, uh, the Sam Raimi Spider-Man. The movie, I think, was was fine on its own. And then for some reason in the middle, there's, oh, God, now, Macy Gray. Like, and I'm like, wow. Yeah, she was a thing for like a year. There's no way. I mean, I, I, I guarantee you that was pushed on him by Sony because there's no way Sam Raimi thought, 
I really want Macy Gray in my movie. Yeah, I need to, like, I, I, I don't know, but I'm willing to bet that Macy Gray, her album was under Sony and they probably were like, uh, like there was probably something like a give and take where Sam was like, Hey, I really want to put this scene in, but I need another million dollars. Well, if you put in a song and dance number with Macy Gray and all right, she just sit in like in the middle and you're like, what the, like, cause it's really like, it's not like she's there. They framed it around her to make sure that you saw that it, hey, here's Macy Gray. And it just sticks out like a sore thumb. Now, the, the movie is not good at all. Look at Nothing But Trouble from Dan Aykroyd. Boo. Remember the Humpty Dance people are in that? And again, that was one of those, did you really think these people were going to have staying power? To be fair, Digital Underground is still, like, I mean, they, they, like, they were not, like, they were hugely successful because of the Humpty Dance. They were a band that, that was their big thing, but they have consistently been making music and have been doing very well. So, I mean, so that, it, it is something where it's not like a flash in the pan. Like, they were, they were popular because of that song, but they've always had a consistent fan base. It's kind of like Faith No More, where, like, they were big with Epic. But like, you know, they kind of went back into, uh, you know, not being quite as huge, but they still were putting out major albums and, and doing very well for their audience. And so I don't really like I think it was an oddity. There, there's there's more to it. I can't get into it just yet, but I, I'm working on it. But I know I know why they were I'm, I'm uncovering why they were in there, because it does seem very it's very random. What about a very specific this, you know, I mean, like maybe Glenn and Globus each thought their Lombada movie movies would have staying power or you know maybe they thought vanilla ice is the next crossover movie star what about when you know for a fact you're making a movie that will instantly date within a month like remember right you know maybe halfway through 1999 we had those slew of y2k movies Remember, there was a whole bunch, there was like three TV movies and four direct-to-video Y2K movies, and you just have to go, you guys know, as soon as 2000 turns over and nothing bad happens, these movies are nothing but jokes, right? Oh, yeah. Uh, well, I think it was Y2Z, where when the year 2000 happened, we got zombies, and I'm like, sure, why not? Why, why the hell not, right? Why the hell I, not? I, I remember one, I want to say it was like a, I, I know I saw it on the Sci-Fi channel, it might not have been a Sci-Fi channel original this is before they were doing the asylum schlock for a y2k one where as soon as y2k flipped over all of a sudden all the nukes launched by accident and i'm like yes because that's how that works <laughs> well the thing is they were playing off of uh the the ignorance of of all that i was working customer service at the time and we got called we we were a um a reseller for government contracts and i would get calls from like government you know people that would that would like they were buying tools from us and stuff um we um uh we need you know this this and this and we needed to come with the paperwork showing that it's y2k compliant and i'm like it's a screwdriver it, it like it's not going to stop working because it's the year 2000 but it's basically it's just people you know they didn't understand computers and they didn't even know what y2k was but the news had trumped it up to that it was going to be this this apocalypse and really all it was was just yeah we got to go in and add some code and and everything will be fine and they did and nothing happened i think maybe like a couple of i think a bank maybe like fucked up played the wrong date on their uh, little led light out in front of the store but that's about it but but i'm just saying when you made them when you make a movie 
like that, you know it's instantly dated. Well, that was them playing off of the the popularity and and of of that at the time. They in that case is something on Y two K. They knew that they had like a limited time to do this and they wanted to get that out there. They didn't care. I think they were just looking for, okay, let's make this quick, cheap, dirty, get it outdoor, make money, and then who gives a crap? They weren't looking to make art. They were looking to make a quick buck. What about when when part of the problem is, now obviously if it's, it, let's leave sci-fi out for right now because that's technically, you know, future looking. When you have a movie, like I said, movies are of the time that they're made. Movies that are set contemporarily. And you just load them full of not just flash-in-the-pan kind of stars, but fashion of the time, references of the time, lingo of the time. That never, lingo and fashion and all that is never lasting. That is never anything written in stone. That just massively dates like the break-in movies, most black exploitation films. I, you know, remember Valley Girl? That is one of the most 1983 movies ever made. But see, like... I love that because you're getting a time capsule. You're getting something that was uh, popular for the time, something that really – so, I mean – and Valley Girl really isn't a bad movie. I think that – I didn't uh, say it was a bad movie. It's just a hor- horribly dated movie. Yeah, but I mean, in that case, I don't see it so much as dated. I see it as the time capsule. I see it as, hey, what was it like back then? Oh, it was like this, you know, and same, like, like totally like, like guide me with a spoon. Well, I know, uh, thing is, that's how some people talked. My sister talked like that and I wanted to throttle her over it, but she, and I'm like, you, you, you're, I mean, granted, I was, I'm way younger than she is, but like, I'm like, you, you're in Pennsylvania. You're not in the valley. Like, why are you talking like this? It, it comes down to that kind of nonsense. I think that, uh, it, it, uh, it was a trend and it was popular and it, uh, it, like, it was a thing. Breaking again, I see it as a, uh, as the time. And hell, it was, breakdancing was popular enough that they were able to squeeze more than a few breakdancing movies out. So, I mean, that had a little bit of staying power. Hell, they're still making the, 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 uh, the, the step up movies. Uh, I'm talking for the breaking movies. I'm not talking so much about the break dancing. I'm talking about that fashion and the lingo that did not move past about 1985. Hey, I'd still be wearing parachute pants now if they sold. <laughs> you would. <laughs> But then you also have stuff, you know, not just the 80s, like the 70s. In a weird way, now obviously there's going to be people that disagree. They're going to say the 80s is the most garish decade, blah, 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 for, you know, pop culture and that. I got to go the 70s. I think a movie from the 70s that was set in the 70s is instantly dated for the most part. I mean, I Network is one of the greatest movies I've ever seen in my life. It's not so much like hairstyles and fashion in a in something like Network. But there are two things that just date that movie to the point where I think modern audiences can't get into the themes and what it's actually trying to say about television and the news. And that is the technology and the fact that three networks, no internet, and it was make or break on television. In a weird way, I think to a millennial, that concept is kind of alien in a weird way, isn't it? Yeah, I think that they just, they wouldn't know, like, how to perceive that. And I think, too, it's funny when certain movies, they'll kind of do the reverse. There'll be a movie set 
you know, from the time period and you'll get somebody now, not necessarily a millennial, but let's just say for sake of instead of arguing, you know, a millennial. I only use millennials in the fact that these are people who didn't exist when something like network was relevant. That's not saying a millennial can't appreciate something like network. I'm saying they didn't live through that era the way you and I did. Oh, yeah. But I'm I'm saying more. Let's say you get somebody who uh, wasn't around at the time and they're watching a movie from the 70s or 80s and they'll be like, oh, God, that that didn't, you know, those things weren't around. And they'll, they'll be like a, a telephone, a, a rotary phone. And they're like, what the hell is that? That it's like that was that was what we had back then. That existed. That was a real thing. You know, phones were not always to play Minecraft on. Ugh. But I mean, something like Network, the message that it has and the warning that it gave that we ignored is so powerful. I think more people not only need to see Network, but need to see it for how prophetic and just shockingly shockingly bare and down to earth it was in what it was trying it wasn't trying to be cutesy with the message it was sending about pop culture and the media and it's a dirty look at what the media became strange that that message is diluted through wow three-quarter inch tapes and th- the guys got on like you know a leisure suit uh I don't know. I, I think that uh, it, it all depends on whether or not you can take the phone away from them while they're watching the movie. We we talked about this off air a while ago where uh, when when I sit down to watch a movie home, I will take my phone and put it out of reach. And there there is a, like I've had people over where it's like, you know, hey, you know, have friends over. Hey, let's watch a movie and we'll throw the movie on and we'll be watching it. And, and I'll like there's like a really awesome part coming up. And I look over they're They're on their phone. I'm like, the fuck? Like, let's all right. Let's play a board game. Then let's do something to get the goddamn phone out of your hand. So I think that that kind of comes down to uh, if you get somebody who is younger or maybe not even interested in this to be able to pay attention to it. They need to be able to, number one, put the phone down. Number two. Two, able to overlook, hey, yeah, people dressed funny back then. You know what's going to happen in 20 years from now? You're going to look back at yourself. You're going to be like, I dressed funny back then, you know, and it's going to be just, you know, you you think you're fine, but then you go back and you're like, oh, God, I had I don't even know what those things are called. And this makes me sound like an old person. The people that they get the the um, the earplugs put in that stretches out their earlobe. Oh, right. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, you're not going to look back at that when you're 50 and be like, ugh, you know, well, I mean, it, it, OK, as I said earlier in this episode, my girlfriend and I just watched all the Wishmaster movies i can't remember if it was three or four but like i said these are 2000 and 2001 pants that are not quite bell bottoms but have the giant bottoms and i'm just like oh god that was so 2000 yeah that like they're although i will say i've i I kind of was bummed i really liked those the 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 girls jeans that were like the low riders where they stopped like right at the butt crack and then which is very 70s in a weird way it's it it, well it is in a in a sort of way but then they brought back the high-waisted mom jeans and i'm like why (laughs) like no no one adopt this (laughs) like we got rid of it don't bring it back well in a weird way like alien 
is a, is a is a movie that doesn't really seem like it's 1979. I think Ridley Scott did a fantastic job of making Alien arguably timeless. I mean, yes, it's got that whole analog future thing. You couldn't have avoided that at that point, and I think that gives it a lot of charm. The one thing that screams late 70s to me is when she's getting into the spacesuit and she's got the underwear that doesn't cover the butt crack, and I'm like, oh my god, that is so... I mean, I know you're younger than me, but it's like, yeah, I, I, I do remember those from when I was a kid, that that's such a late 70s thing her underwear yeah yeah the, the underwear was was really funny to me i remember the first time i saw that you were like I'm what like, the hell is that is that like some space underwear yeah it's space underwear i'm like that that thing that i mean that was and and to be perfectly honest that uh, to to go a little women back in the 70s didn't really shave down there so to have underwear that small was was pretty risque. So if they would have zoomed the camera around, you would have seen uh you would have seen something else going on. You would have seen Sigourney weaving. Yes, <laughs> Sigourney weaving. <laughs> yeah, I mean, so so yeah, that the the clothing and that like it doesn't. It's one of those you kind of like look at it and it doesn't take you out of the scene. You just kind of chuckle for a second and then you kind of you move on with it. You know, it's uh it's it's it is a funny little thing but then you have you have other movies specifically sci-fi movies i've never understood why they do this now i understand if you're going to fudge the date that a sci-fi movie you know takes place in (laughs) year or something like that or you know you set it in 2039 or 2036 you know even in the 90s that's far enough i never understood why some sci-fi movies said we're setting it a couple of years in the future like i love strange days one of the best action movies of the entire 1990s hands down it's set four years in the future and i just thought that was i mean i get it they were going for the the you know end of the end of the millennium y2 not quite y2k but kind of a y2k thing but i'm just like you said it four years in the future or predator 2 oh you said it seven years in the future how oddly specific in predator 2's case in for for strange days that was like i i think that was one of the clinchpins or linchpins or whatever it is Lynch. linchpin that was one of the linchpins that got them their budget was it was this was hinging the whole plot was hinging on it being new year's and it going into the new millennium so i think that really going to end in 10 minutes anyway exactly so that was kind of what factored into it so i in that case i understand and it wasn't like i mean aside from the squid it wasn't so far out of the realm of possibility it was I, like okay I, I, I actually no no technology wise i totally agree with you no I, I know you don't like when i get political the political landscape of the time is very 1995 the stuff with the cops running around you know this this is right after Rodney King, and part of the plot is rogue cops killing a black guy and it being on film. It's a very 1995 movie politically, though. Oh yeah, I, I don't. I'm not. I'm not saying that it isn't. But again, it was being that it was still a couple of years into the future. That could still be a hot button topic. So I think that actually kind of lended itself better to it because it's like, okay, this isn't something that's so far in the future that it's still a problem. It's only a little bit into the future, and so yes, it, it's potentially still a problem. But then what about like Predator Two, where it's set in 1997 and the movie is made in 1990? That's such an odd oddly specific this is seven years from now and you're like like i said i keep saying that it's so oddly specific yeah it was it was weird 
But, uh, I, I don't know. It's, uh, yeah, I, I don't know what the, what the deal was, why they chose 97. Cause they didn't go too nuts with it. Like, you know, there wasn't, you didn't have Danny Glover with like a laser gun or something. So it, like, it was like just slightly into the future. But, uh, I don't know. But there are other movies and TV shows even where they're like, you know, it's, it's only a couple years into the future and it's like the world is vastly different. <laughs> I, I, I actually love, uh, I actually love classic. Star Trek. Now, I'm sure this seemed like a long way away when they did it, but remember in classic Star Trek, the 1960s, World War III took place in 1995. <laughs> Whoops. And also remember that after that is when Khan Noonien Singh took over in his race of Superman, because then they were exiled in the early 2000s, you know, to make Space Seed and Wrath of Khan. I loved how, like, when Star Trek Voyager, you know, made in 1995, had their time travel episode back to contemporary Los Angeles. Angeles, they totally ignored the whole, wait, shouldn't Khan be running the world and it be like a, a bunch of fallout? It was like, just shut up and enjoy this. Yeah, yeah don't, don't, don't question Stop bringing continuity into this. They, I, I think that it would have been a cool idea if they would have done that. I don't know why they didn't. Uh, there might have been. I'm sure it was budgetary. Either budgetary or simplistically just, uh, there, there might have even been some sort of goofy rights issue. I know Paramount owns it, but you know, and, and UPN was Paramount, but who knows? There's always, there's always somebody with, with copyright that, uh, or that owns the rights to something that throws a wrench into it. But you, but you also have stuff that in a weird way predicts and is very accurate yet is dated like now the movie is not realistic in any way but you know creepers slash phenomena from argento 1985 that was the first movie to accurately use forensic entomology in a correct way yes the whole psychic being able to communicate with bugs and then her you know her turning into a bonnie tyler music video and all that that is unrealistic donald pleasance's character actually is really grounded in reality as much as people might not want to expect him to be i mean i can't argue with you on that one they uh they it's it it is uh surprisingly like grounded for for a film that is uh outlandish and it has and it has a monkey in a diaper wielding a straight razor as the hero. You know, as I said that, that just makes the movie more awesome as I say it out loud. Yeah, it really does, and it makes me want to go watch it right now. Well, but <laughs> I haven't seen it in a while. <laughs> but then you also have something like you know Michael Mann's Manhunter, which is a very '80s movie. It's very '80s, and I think in, t- in this case it was intentionally so because he went with all that Art Deco architecture and the the very the, the lighting and you know the fact that real to real films being transferred to VHS is a huge plot point, but also the forensic techniques. Like, remember when they were trying to figure out what was written on that piece of toilet paper that they stole from Lecter's cell when he was trying to communicate with the Tooth Fairy? That was all actual forensic science at the time. And strangely enough, that holds up better than early 2000 CSI stuff, and Manhunter is what inspired Anthony Zerker to freaking create CSI. I think the thing with, with CSI, uh, is in order for them to be able to, to crank out that stuff week after week, they, they needed to play it up to be goofy. And it, it really, really felt goofy. I mean, I used to watch like the episodes while I was, uh, on, uh, I was running in, uh, the treadmill and the exercise bike and stuff just to watch something to take your mind off the fact that you're standing or running in one place. Throw on, I had DVDs and DVD of, uh, of them. And then they, I was getting them from, uh, from Netflix, whatever, whatever. It doesn't matter. I'm watching them and like they started off like not too bad. And then they just kind of got more and more 
ridiculous. And I think that's kind of what it boiled down to is that, all right, we need to resolve this, you know, an hour or 44 minutes. How do we make this engaging? How do we make this interesting? How do we do stuff that will make it like seem more exciting than it is? Because really the whole CSI project it's not very dynamic for a TV show. It's doing all the computer stuff and enhance, and this is what makes it engaging. And then the goofy stuff like NCIS, where they're like hacking the computer with two people he me at on the, the other keyboard. Side of the node. Yeah, yeah, but but it's just absurd. So yeah, they're 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 taking liberties with it to try to make it more exciting than it is. But at the same time, go back and watch Manhunter again. They were doing it realistically because the whole point is they're under a time crunch that they only have an hour to figure out what was written on the toilet paper before Lecter notices that they you know that something's up that they're on to him. They're under a time crunch. The way it's edited, the way it's shot, they were still using the actual forensic techniques, and they made it exciting without making it ridiculous. Ridiculous. But maybe that's the difference between a Michael Mann and a TV director on a CSI. You've got the luxury of being able to just squeeze that in and making it exciting and realistic once. But if they were going to try to do that week after week, it wouldn't work, you know, doing it repeatedly. Doing it realistically uh, in, is something kind of brought over again from last week. Uh, realism doesn't always work in movies. It isn't quite as exciting as making it fantastical. Sometimes it is. Uh, a lot of times it's not. Well, what about then when something seems like, oh, this is just going to be dated schlock, and then you go... Wow, this has a lot more staying power than anybody thought. Like the China Syndrome in 1979. To take people back in time, nuclear power was something that people were both scared of and loved at the time. Not like today. You know, there were lots of protests and people afraid what happens in a meltdown because we'd never had one. Three Mile Island has not happened yet, and that's a key point to what I'm going to talk about here. It was, is this safe? Is it dangerous? What would happen? And the China Syndrome is sort of a media look at this and a worst case scenario. China Syndrome came out Nobody liked it. They're like, this is just fear-mongering. This is ridiculous. Twelve days after China Syndrome came out, Three Mile Island happened. Everyone went, holy shit, this movie's going to be remembered forever. Yeah, it's one of those rare instances where reality made fiction that much more like, oh, wow, this, you know, yeah, so definitely. It, it happens. I'm sure that's not the only case of something like that happening. Now, obviously, in 1979, I was still a kid, so I don't necessarily remember the Three Mile and China Syndrome thing other than just seeing it on the news. That must have made seeing China Syndrome in the theater really intense to see it a week after Three Mile Island. Uh, yeah, just crazy. Be like, oh, uh, what? <laughs> what about something that's part of pop culture that kind of like with network, you have to explain it was a different time, like natural born killers. Now, not necessarily for the natural born killers angle, because you always have those media superstars. The whole sleazy talk show, very hard copy, inside edition, current affair kind of guy that, that, that Robert Downey Jr. played and whatnot. That is really, really dated to people who didn't grow up in the 90s with that stuff, isn't it? Oh, yeah. Uh, now, I know Tarantino isn't fond of it, but because he doesn't really like the direction that Oliver Stone went with it. Y yeah, but, okay. um, I, I, I've read Tarantino's script for it, and Tarantino's original script for Natural Born Killers is quite good. I think Oliver Stone actually improved on it. I think everything Stone added to it that Tarantino says he hates makes the movie better. I think Tarantino's script was a great baseline, and Oliver Stone made it a goddamn masterpiece. Yeah, it's uh, it's really good, but him going 
the way that he did, like he played from what I gather, he added in uh, the whole media angle to it, like mu- like much more of how what we expect today with like, I mean, like I-, I would not be surprised in this day and age if you had two serial killers that ended up becoming like media superstars. I, I could see it on you YouTube know. easily. Oh, yeah. Well, you know, it's uh, I-, I don't know. I don't think YouTube. I think maybe they would probably because YouTube would would take it down. But I could see them putting it, you know, or maybe they would start there and then people would just keep mirroring it but or it, something. But it's actually happened on how, how many t- stories have we had in the last three or four years where somebody live streamed on Facebook or something an actual murder or a, or a, or a series of murders or whatnot. This has happened three or four times now. That's natural born killers, but on the Internet instead of on TV. Oh, somebody. Oh, God, I can't remember the word. It was like one of those combo made up words. Somebody had pointed out to me like, what do you think of striminal? I think it was where it was somebody who is streaming a criminal activity. And I'm like, okay. I think that is absolutely a thing, but I hate the word. Oh, it's a stupid I'm like, word. Just come up with a different word. Don't just combine two words and call, you know, I'm like, that's just, it's, it's lazy saying, you know, a streaming criminal or something. But, uh, but yeah, it absolutely, there have been people that, uh, there's been people now that have streamed their own death. I mean, you might not have the sleazy Wayne Gale style producer. Natural born killers, the pop culture mindset of that is really 1994, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And, and I mean, and the cast too. The majority of them are very 90s people. Now, granted, you still, you know, Woody Harrelson bigger than he's ever been now. Cause he's awesome. Uh, but, oh, I love Woody. I just, hell, I just saw, um, three billboard, three billboards and he was phenomenal in that. He, he was, oh, well, um, not just him, everybody. Oh but yeah. Woody Harrelson was but I'm just, amazing. Edge of 17. I mean, okay. There was a lot of great performances in that, but I think his kind of subtle, anger and frustration even though he's only a supporting character he almost steals the movie when he was reading the girl's text message that was hel- first that was so uncomfortable not just that but also because of some of the cutaways to Haley St- St- stainfield her awkwardness as he's like reading about I want you to put your mouth on my tits and she, the way, the way she tits. waggles her head around and like oh my god oh my god <laughs> That was probably like the best part of the movie for me. Like I thought it was a really good movie, but I thought that was just like that. that, And it's a shame they blew it in the trailer. It still was, was just really funny. So yeah, that, uh, but, but yeah, but uh, Woody Harrelson is great, but there's like Tom, Tom Sizemore. Juliette uh, Lewis. Like, well, Juliette Lewis pops up every now and then. Yeah, like, I think Sizemore, well, Sizemore unfortunately lost his mind. Downey Jr., who, at the time, what a lot of people have to remember is at the time, Robert Downey Jr. was on his way down. He'd been making some, maybe not direct-to-video schlock, but he'd been supporting characters for a while. You know, his drug use had gotten in front of him, and, you know, he was a pop culture joke. Natural Born Killers was his comeback film. You know, everyone now, oh, Tony Stark, Tony... It's like, yeah, this was, I need this to work, Oliver. I really do. I think people now don't realize that he was pretty much blacklisted for a while because he could not stop doing drugs and he was messing up productions and messing, you know, he, he really was screwing himself and a lot of other people over while he was getting through his addiction issues. I mean, his career was in the toilet a few times. He, he has come back simply because of the, the strength of his own talent. He was so good that they did keep giving him chances 
chance after chance to redeem himself. Oh, he's fantastic and, as Wayne Gale in Natural Born Killers. I still say he doesn't quite overshadow Juliette Lewis and Woody Harrelson. He really, uh, he, he's almost a cartoon character, but he doesn't overplay it. He goes right to the line of over the top and then pulls himself back, which is what makes Wayne Gale such an interesting character in the movie. But then you have another one in the same kind of vein of Natural Born Killers. Again, not the killers part, but the media part. Remember Meet Wally Sparks? That yes. That is such 1990s. That could only be 1997. You know, with the Jerry Springers and the Je- Jenny Jones and all this. That is so 1990. That could not have happened in the earlier 90s, and it could not have happened after 2000. Meet Wally Sparks is a pure 1997 film. Oh, and it absolutely works as such. You go back and as somebody who used to watch Springer and all that stuff, you watch Meet Wally Sparks and you're like, this is absolutely a complete parody of all that stuff. And and the scene with the um the marble penis is hilarious. I, I mean, I looked at it as, because, you know, even though it's a little earlier, you know, Morton Downey Jr. set the template for all of that stuff. You know, Morton's almost unknown nowadays. And he was the guy who started trash television. You know, the trash talk show. He really was. And it, it, it's just sad that, you know, everybody goes to Jerry Springer for that. And it's like, even in Jerry Springer's most debased moments, he didn't touch some of the shit Morton did on his show. The problem with with Morton Downey Jr. unfortunately was he was so desperate because you know ratings were going down that he was trying to create something that he did the uh, the swastika thing yeah. that just screamed of desperation and because he got busted it just completely undid any little bit of credibility that he had left and unfortunately that is if anybody does remember him that's pretty much all they remember they don't remember like for better or worse. He was the template for the, you know, the screaming trash television, uh, you know, in the afternoon show. Oh, well, his was the evening, rather. But at the same time, is it weird or serendipitous that he basically played himself in Predator 2, you know, in the future of 1997? Yeah, that was just him, you know, play what you know. Because <laughs> I also remember, remember, he was the villain in the third Revenge of the Nerds movie, too. Was yeah, he? God, he, I, he was the He was the I, villain in that. I don't remember it very much. <laughs> What about something is so dated when you, I mean, the movie wasn't good to begin with. You've Got Mail might be the most dated technology movie I've ever seen. Way more than Hackers, way more than The Net, way more than Weird Science. You've Got Mail, again, it wasn't a good movie to begin with, but what the hell? That is so 1998, and that didn't age well at all. Oh, yeah, that's another one that... It was capitalizing on what was going on at the time, and it was also capitalizing on we need to get Meg Ryan and Tom Hanks in another movie as quickly as possible. Sleepless in Seattle wasn't even very good. It doesn't matter. It made a ton of money. You of all people should know that, though. That is that is what drives them to do a lot of this stuff. You you think that the majority of, of people wanted Bad Mom's Christmas or whatever the shit that was? No, but the first one made a ton of money, so they figured out a way to do another one quickly. I, it just, I, I hate crass consumerism. I, I hate crass commercialism like that. Movies, you can absolutely be exploitative, you can absolutely make these just because something's hot, but there should be some heart to it. Seriously, You've Got Mail is the most heartless, manufactured, hollow movie I think of the entire 1990s. 
ironic considering that it's kind of supposed to be a movie about, you know, the little shop on the corner, the whole, you know, how the conglomerates are putting these other, you know, the old niche out of business. And, and yet it's so, full of Starbucks product placement and FedEx. And, you know, I, I love all the product placement in the movie, too. It, it, OK, in a way, that's kind of like Fight Club preaching the anti-consumerism message while having Pepsi as a sponsor. You kind of go, I see what you did there. Well, you know, I mean, isn't that, isn't that how that works? It's, you drink a Pepsi and, uh, you know, they solved racism. Well, then there's another one I want to talk about. Now, this movie was not made to cash in on a trend, although it was probably, when John Milius originally wrote it, I'm sure he saw the way things were going. No one suspected how hard Dirty Harry would hit in 1971. Because you got to remember, crime was on the rise. Your your average criminal, you know, the this isn't actually real, but in in culture it was. Well, the criminals, you know, they're constantly getting off on technicalities, and you know, the whole line: criminals have more rights than regular people do. No one could have predicted Dirty Harry in 1971. That was like a catharsis. Of the anger and frustration of people when it came to crime. I'd say 1974 for Death Wish at the same time. It's kind of hard to quantify that with today, isn't it? That kind of boils down to just the luck of the draw. You get somebody who they they like the idea, they like the script. Maybe they see something coming. To, it turns into its own thing. Uh, and, you know, nobody saw that Dirty Harry would be uh, cathartic in a way because it's like, all right, you know, Dirty Harry and uh, Death Wish and all that. It's like, okay, you're, you're getting, uh, you know, it's vigilanteism and then, you know, cop vigilanteism. Uh, there's something about that and it just appeals to people in general because, you know, they want to see bad people punished. You know, they didn't foresee that coming and that's kind of the beauty of it is if they had seen it coming, there would have been 50 bajillion movies about it. But then in this case, it's like they just did it and it ended up becoming a hit because it was something that people wanted and maybe they didn't really know they wanted at the time. Do you think that that's different than three years later with Death Wish. I mean, obviously, you know, Dirty Harry is in San Francisco and Death Wish is in New York, so you have different environments. But New York was such a hotbed of crime. Just like you said, Dirty Harry was a catharsis. I think Death Wish kind of was. Death Wish was sort of wish fulfillment in the worst possible way. I, I don't know. I mean, it's still... It's still a movie, so it's like you you want to see you want to see the like you don't want to see the bad shit happen to the guy. You're like, okay, this happened, and he's gonna go out there and you know bust some heads over it. There is a certain amount of joy over that where you're like, are you know like um to a certain degree falling down where initially you're rooting for him, and then you over the course of the film you're like, oh wait. He's the bad guy. Like you kind of, you turn and then you, you know, you realize he finally gets what's coming to him. With Death Wish, you're like, okay, he's out there. Bad things have happened to him and he's going to get revenge on criminals, on crime. And so there is something, there is something cathartic about that. Cause you know, you, you want to get that. Yeah. He's killing criminals, but most people aren't going to go out there and just start shooting people. But at the same point with death wish he goes out and takes down all the criminals doesn't get the people who killed his wife and raped his daughter though i think that's actually part of the subtext people don't get he does all this because he's angry and he's frustrated but he doesn't get the people he was actually going after he gets everybody else 
it's kind of, well, that adds the extra sadness into it. What about a movie that's just uncomfortable today? And I can't imagine this movie, I didn't see it in 1980. I didn't see it till years later, so I was too young. What about something like Cruising? That movie is horribly dated to not just the homosexual community, just New York. I mean, that movie, I sat and watched that with a gay friend, and he was like, this movie was made by people who have never actually talked to a gay person, haven't they? You're telling me that you were uncomfortable when the, the black man with the assless chaps came in and slapped the- Okay, okay, first, <laughs> the- chaps are assless by definition, so assless chaps don't technically well, exist. Well, true, and, but- And, and yeah, he wasn't in yeah, chaps, he-, he was just in a Speedo, and that scene is brilliant, because, you know, what are you going to tell the cops this? They're never going to believe you. That scene's brilliant. I'm talking about the whole, the gay cruising thing, and I get it, cruising was an actual thing. At the same time, this movie is so homophobic, it almost kind of does exemplify the early 80s, doesn't it? You know, the pre-AIDS, early 80s, in a weird way. Isn't that also sort of a very negative, in this case, snapshot? Well, it's, I mean, a lot of times entertainment is a mirror. You know, it's showing us what things were like at the time. And it is a, it is a look into, you know, how, how things were. And I don't think that the people that made it were homophobic. I think it's just that that's how it was being portrayed. Uh, Okay. When it comes to cruising, the book is intensely homophobic. Whereas I don't think William Friedkin was when he made the movie, but he was adapting the book. So I think some of that homophobia, it, it was inevitable is going to leach into the film because the book is very homophobic. So, uh, but I mean, something like Cruising, it, it's almost funny how dated the movie is. And by the way, I will never forgive Powers Booth for his scene. I did not need to know what all those different colored handkerchiefs and back pockets meant. I will never forgive him for that. <laughs> He's in one scene, and I will never forgive him for that scene. I, I know exactly. Yeah, it, yeah, oof. yeah. That I I can forgive Powers Booth for that. That didn't bother me. That actually made for a lot of humor in uh, in future things. But okay, then the final thing would be as we we're talking about hairstyles and whatnot. Now I have found this with the, the younger generation. Obviously, I'm not talking about everybody out there who's a millennial. Millennials have problems with. Even serious movies where, like, an afro is involved. I know people who can't watch the original Dawn of the Dead because of the hairstyles. Or they they laugh at the Omega Man because the, the chick has the huge afro. You know, Saturday Night Fever, it's not a movie I technically like, but I see the quality in it, the, the, hair, the, the hairstyles and the clothes. People just laugh at that. Do you think that, that that is a fair thing to do? Because obviously all these movies are a product of their time. And, you know, something like The Omega Man takes place in the future even, and he, they still incorporated all of the 70s fashion aesthetics. Do you think like an afro or disco gear, when it's played seriously, I'm not talking parodies or anything, should be something that dates a movie? Or should you be able to look past that and go, guys, this is a really good movie with a really good message, like I was saying about Network earlier? A good movie is a good movie. I think people should uh, be able to look over, uh, overlook a lot of the uh, time issues, a lot of the just uh, genuinely inherent problems with uh, something being filmed back then and stop laughing at everything. I mean, you know, it's it's one thing to kind of be like, oh, my God, like the movie starts and they got the bell bottoms, they got the big collars and all that. All right, fine. Get over it. Like, don't the whole not the entire movie. Oh, my God, the hair. Oh, my God, the clothes. Yeah, we get it. It was goofy. 
like pay attention to the story and see if the story actually will uh will carry it through and it's not just you know if you want to laugh at a movie where they're dressing goofy and whatnot watch a movie that is lampooning something like that then okay yeah because then they're going to play everything for for maximum laughs they're going to you know they're going to make things bigger and make things uh sillier if you're watching something that is quote-unquote dated get over it i mean i I brought this up many times i get sick of seeing reviews on youtube and whatnot of blackula and they're just laughing at the slang and the clothes and the hair and it's like fuck you guys blackula is a really good movie and you're idiots i think in general, going off of the title, they're, oh, I got black. And it's like, yeah, I mean, it, it was an exploitation film at the time or black exploitation, And it was meant to kind of take advantage of that. But it's it's still really good. And it was a massive success. Another thing that people always seem to forget. Now, Blackenstein. OK, that one is laughable because that's a terrible movie. That, that one doesn't have the cause, I mean, the, the, think about Blackula. Other than a couple of intentionally humorous moments, it's a pretty intense horror movie, isn't it? It's not played for laughs, like I said, other than a couple of, you know, background characters and one-liners. Overall, it's not comical at all. Yet, go and look at YouTube videos for it by, you know, people who are in their early 20s, and they can barely contain their laughter at Blackula. I think it was The Simpsons where they were like, coming up next, Blackula, Blackenstein, and the blunt black of Bloater Blame. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay, the, 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 the black stuff, I mean, okay, there was Blackula, Scream, Blackula, Scream, Blackenstein, there was Dr. Black and Mr. Hype, remember that one? That, yes. Uh, in, the, in, in all honesty, look at one of the exploitation movies that are freaking great, but people can't get over the afros, Sugar Hill, or sometimes known as the Zombies of Sugar Hill. Remember how fucking goddamn creepy that movie was? I don't care that the zombies uh, had afros. They were fucking creepy. Yeah, a zombie with an afro is going to kill you just as much as a zombie without an afro. Exactly. We have these movies that are dated, and you have some movies that are arguably timeless. And then you have movies like The Matrix. And I'm not talking about the bullet time or all that. Just the computer tech in The Matrix makes me roll my eyes going, oh my god, so 1999. But at the same time, you look at The Matrix and you go, but I can still see the good movie in here too. So should the dated aspects of a movie harm it? Or should they add to it? It all depends. I think, uh, in general, you want it to, uh, you want it to add to it because, uh, as I said, it's a, it's either a, you know, however you look at it, it's a snapshot of the times or it is a mirror of what is happening at the time. You want to be able to experience what was going through at the time. I think that, uh, you're getting an accurate depiction of the world that was going on if it is, uh, depend, you know, even if it's horror, a lot of times you'll have There'll, there'll be some faction of pop culture in there or some faction of, uh, you know, uh, just entertainment in there. And it makes it look what's uh, makes you look at what's going on. And I think that's really interesting that it should enhance it. And unfortunately, sometimes it detracts if it's too far off mark. But for the most part, I want it to be uh, enhancing what's going on at the time. It's OK. I speak jive. <laughs> Barbara. It was Barbara Billingsley. Yeah. Right. Was yeah. That was I, I speak jive. I love that. Chump don't want to help. Airplane. Chump don't get to hell. Airplane is amazing. Airplane's still funny. Actually, Airplane Two is funny as well. I think Airplane Two is very underappreciated. It's not as. Go- it's I don't. Oh, sh- okay. Yeah. This Shatner scenes alone. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's not as good as Airplane, no no no. I, I agree with that. Still but funny. Airplane Two is shit on. I think unfairly, and I think it's as good. 
it just it doesn't have the bite. Shatner steals that whole movie, and he only comes in in the last twenty minutes. It's better than all of the blank movies combined you know epic movie date movie like all that like because they're they're just like they just throw things like pop culture references in and it's like it's somehow supposed to be funny like the thing that i always it's jack sparrow dancing with a harry potter kid funny yeah or or my my go-to i think it was date movie where they have a guy who looks like napoleon dynamite and he's wearing a shirt that says don't vote for pedro i'm like oh oh boy they added the don't in there <laughs> oh, comedy. that shit's funny idiots oh god at least airplane like they did you know some some funny airplane and hot shots airplane hot shots what's the, oh and top secret naked gun they are uh Oh God, Naked Gun, of course. But uh, Our, uh, yeah. okay, we're not we're not, we're not talking about those. Though, right? We're, we're, we're not, not talking about, about parodies. Those. But anyway, so, yes. To, to yes. wrap up, they're wonderful. I, I think a movie's message and quality should shine through. Like Network is a movie. I think anyone who is interested in the news, television, or even now the internet should see. For years, George Clooney has been trying to do a remake of Network. And this is one case where I don't necessarily think it's a bad idea because Network is dated. We can't deny that. But its message, if you tr- if you did a remake of that right for the Internet age, could be brilliant. In a way, I, I think everybody needs to go see Network. Yes, the technology is dated. Yes, some of, you know, the clothing is dated. And the fact that Faye Dunaway basically creates the idea of reality TV in that should be a warning, but we didn't take it as such at the, you know, in the seventies. We didn't take it that this is how bad TV can get. Remember, I was maybe two or three years ago where that guy, that, that ex, uh, newscaster killed that, that, that newscaster on live morning television? That was the only thing Cecil and Network that hadn't come true yet was the murder on live television thing. That's the only thing. Now everything in network has happened. So does that still make it a dated movie? Well, like, kind of like Max Headroom. How many things has Max Headroom predicted? All of them. Exactly. So on that note, where can Cecil Headroom be found? <laughs> you can find Cecil Headroom over at uh, goodbadflicks.com as well as goodbadflicks on YouTube, Twitch, Twitter, Facebook, and 1201beyond.com. So would I be Murray or Theora? No, I, I, I'd be Blank Reg. I think blank red. She, I could see I even you have the, the hair. Uh, I was going to say, I could see you putting the, the, the flag on your head. You can find me at 1201beyond.com. You can contact this show at 1201beyond at gmail.com. Guys, try to be a cut above. Keep one foot in the gutter, one fist in the gold. Have a good night.
Find it and other great content at 1201beyond.com.